This message is from Living Rock Church, and we trust you'll be really equipped, envisioned, and encouraged as you listen today. So, a few weeks ago, Richard spoke to us about the church's family, and I would like to follow on from that theme, thinking about us as a family. And I want to specifically focus on fathers and mothers in the house of God. So what we're going to do is, first of all, I'm going to talk about the role of fathers and mothers, and then specifically those within the church. And then I'm going to focus on the fathers and mothers in this house that are leaders. And I'm going to give you six things that leadership is and isn't in the house of God. And then lastly, I'm going to pose a question and ask why. Why does the word tell us to submit to our leaders? And then I'm going to suggest three things that might answer that. And then I've got, lastly, two hopefully practical things to help us to keep a fully functioning family. So it's six and it's three and it's two, okay? (laughs) So I'm going to do a little bit of a recap of a few things that Richard said. Um, So, we know that God's plan has always been worked out through families, and it's very important to God's purposes. We, We heard a while ago from David about, in the Old Testament, it was families, and it was tribes, and it was clans. Um, and then Jesus came and changed everything, and it was still about a family though, it was just about one really big family, which is the Church of God. And then, obviously, there's different expressions of that family. And Richard reminded us just how important it was to remember that he is our father. Um, And I think he used the phrase, he's not a shadow of our earthly father. He really is our father. And if you could keep that in mind as well as, as I'm talking, please. So, as we say, in the natural as in the spiritual, the family unit is replicated in the church family. So if you could quickly turn with me to Psalm 68.6, please. All of my scriptures today are from the NLT, except one. And I'll tell you when that one comes up. This is a really familiar scripture, isn't it? God places the lonely in families. He sets the prisoners free and gives them joy. And when I read that, I think you can sometimes think, oh, you know, if someone's lonely, God will give them a family. But I think it means this is the family he places the lonely in, the church family. And he places people who are lonely in this family. The church as a family is far more diverse than what we think of as, as Richard said, mum, dad, and 2.4 children. The church has everything in it. Everything's represented So we've got parents and we've got children, children that are real children, but children are those who are very young in the faith. We've got aunts and uncles, big brothers and sisters, and we've got grandparents, and grandparents who have passed on their wisdom to one generation, and they're now doing it to the next. And everything's represented within this family unit. It's not like society's family. There's no lack here at all. And I'm really blessed that my children have big brothers and sisters and aunts and uncles and 
I don't know if you are like me, if, if, you're, if you're my age. When I was a kid, I had loads of aunts and uncles. So basically, anyone who was my mum and dad's friend was called an aunt and uncle. <laughs> Did you get that? It took me years to realise I actually only had two real aunties. But I had a host of aunts and uncles. So I just want to encourage with that, especially if maybe you're a single parent, because I know now families come in all shapes and sizes, that there's no lack here for your children. If there's anything lacking in the natural, then it's here. It's here in, in the house of God. So let's, let's pose the question. This is all very basic, but I'm laying a foundation. <laughs> what, do, what do fathers and mothers do? In the natural, I would propose that parents provide nourishment, they provide protection, they provide love, and they provide security, and they provide boundaries. So because God himself is a father, it's really important to him. And what I've come to realize, that if it's in his heart, then actually it's in our heart as well. Whether you've got your own children or not, I think there's a a parent in you, in some form or another. And all throughout the word, it's very important. If you look in Exodus, where it talks about laying the rules for for how they had to live, dishonoring your mother and father carried the death penalty. So, youth. (laughs) And I think here, particularly here in this place, there are mothers and fathers who it is in their very nature to be like that because they're representing the diverse nature of God. And there's lots of mothers, particularly in this place, who have have blessed me over the years, who I've drawn upon and they've blessed me. So can I encourage us all, draw upon those who in the natural, they probably don't even realise it, but they're parents in God and they're nurturing and they're comforting and they're providing protection. Because like I said, there's no lack in this place. Whatever we need, God has it in the form of us as a family. So... I think there's a lot of people who fit into that category. And there are people who are maybe children in the faith that will grow up to be parents in the faith. So really, here in this this church, God blesses us with three different types of parent. So there's the type of which there are lots, who it's in their nature and in their heart to be like that. Then there's those who carry positions of leadership within the church. And they're mothers and fathers. And then we also then have fathers who carry the government to this church, which is our elders and our apostle. So today I want to focus particularly on the the last two, so the leaders, which actually quite a lot of us are, got quite a few life group leaders, haven't we now? So that's elders, deacons, life group leaders, hot rock leaders, anyone who carries a position of leadership. And I would like to think, if if we can think of them as fathers and mothers in the house then that will help us to really understand the family dynamic. Now, I do want to just make a little note to say there are some differences between natural parents and spiritual parents, but I will come back to that later. So what I'd like to do is to, focusing on the leaders in, this, in the house, is just to give you six things that leadership is and isn't in God's family. And I hope in the process just to debunk a few myths about leaders. So if I could have my first slide, please. So the first thing that it is and isn't, it's God-defined, not man-designed. 
Which means, so we've learned over the past few months, haven't we, that if God defines marriage and God defines covenant, then God defines leadership, his, his leadership. He sets the limits on authority and leadership. And don't look at the world for examples of leaders because the world has warped and distorted what God has for us. So don't look to the world, but look to the word. And actually, that applies to natural family as well as spiritual. Look to the word for examples of leadership. The second one, that leadership, well, this kind of, it's something it brings rather than it is. It brings order, not chaos. You know, we find God is a God of order. And often his ways are really practical. So if you could turn with me, please, to Exodus 18, 21 to 23. Now, we know there's um, a wonderful scripture in the New Testament where the disciples appoint men full of the Holy Spirit to care for the growing church. But this is another example which, which I like in Exodus. And this is Moses. His, his father-in-law has come to visit him and seen that Moses is overwhelmed with, with caring for the people. And this is what his father-in-law suggests to him. So, starting at verse 21... But select from all the people some capable, honest men who fear God and hate bribes. Appoint them as leaders over groups of 1,000, 150, and 10. They should always be available to solve the people's common disputes, but have them bring the major cases to you. Let the leaders decide the smaller matters themselves. They will help you carry the load, making the task easier for you. If you follow this advice and if God commands you to do so, then you will be able to endure the pressures and all these people will go home in peace. It's eminently practical, isn't it? So there's leaders of hundreds, there's leaders of tens and fifties. And it actually means that nothing's diluted. It means no one's left out. So whilst it seems like it's a structure, it's all about making sure that the whole family is cared for and it's very practical. But that does also mean, I'm afraid, that yes, we do need rotors because it's a practical way of caring for people. The third thing is that it's a team and not an individual. Families work as a team, and in leadership, it's always a team. The elders are a team. There's a team of life group leaders. There's a team of hot rock leaders. It means there's consensus. Kerry, our apostle, he works with a team of apostles and prophets. It means it's never about one person It's never about one person's opinion. It's always about a team. If you read through, I've been reading Corinthians, um, and Paul, who identified himself as an apostle, he was an apostle, it struck me that he keeps using the phrase we. We say this, we think this. And I, I don't really know who he's talking about, but I know that means he thinks he's part of a team. Even he didn't feel that he was an individual. So the next thing that leadership is and isn't is that it's a gift and not an office. If you could turn, please, to 1 Corinthians 12, 27 to 28.
Again, very familiar. Starting at verse 27. All of you together are Christ's body, and each of you is a part of it. Here are some of the parts God has appointed for the church. First are apostles, second are prophets, third are teachers. Then those who do miracles, those who have the gift of healing, those who can help others, those who have the gift of leadership, and those who speak in unknown languages. You notice that it says here are some of the parts. That's not an exhausting list. There's lots of parts. And you can be more than one as well. Some of the parts is by no means all of them. But if, if we take that to be true, that means those in, in positions of leadership have had a gift recognizing them. The measure of the gift might be different, but the gift is the same. Which means the leader of 10 is perfectly capable and perfectly gifted as much as the leader of 100 is. So we receive all leadership in the same way because the gift is the same even if the measure of the gift differs. And it also means that those who've appointed them have their confidence. Because it's not about an office, it's about a gift that has been seen in them. And let me just stress, it's not a one-time only gift either. Anyone can develop it. Anyone can develop a gift of leadership. Okay, moving on. Another thing leadership is and isn't is that it's serving, not self-serving. So if you turn to uh, Matthew 20, please, 26 and 27. But among you it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. And that's Jesus speaking, who was the ultimate example of one who had authority but who was a servant. Don't, don't turn to it, but in 1 Corinthians 4, Paul again says in his letter, So look at Apollos and me as mere servants of Christ who have been put in charge of explaining God's mysteries. And Paul often described himself as a servant of Christ. He was an apostle, but he was also a servant. Uh, 1 Timothy 3.13, again, don't need to turn to it. Now, this is my one scripture that's in the NIV, because it didn't have the right word in the NLT. So it says, those who have served well gain an excellent standing and great assurance in their faith in Christ Jesus. Do you notice it says those who have served well, not those who have led well? And it's all about that we serve. So lastly, what leadership is and isn't, within the context of family, within the context of the house of God, it's love, not domination. If you could turn to 2 Corinthians 1, please, 23 to 24. I'm going to spend a bit longer on this one because it's really important. Now I call upon God as my witness that I am telling the truth. The reason I didn't return to Corinth was to spare you from severe rebuke. But that does not mean we want to dominate you by telling you how to put your faith into practice. We want to work together with you so that you will be full of joy. For it is by your own faith that you stand firm. 
And that's the heart of it. It's about love, not domination. If we think that our leaders are just bossy and want to be in our lives, then we've, you've missed it completely. It's about love, not domination. And Paul says, I didn't want to dominate you by telling you how to put your faith into practice, but we want to work together with you. It's all about working together. If we consider again the natural family, and if you think again about natural parents, if you are a parent, you will know that everything, absolutely everything you do for your kids is because you believe it to be the best for them. Even when to them, it feels really restrictive. And there are some things that our kids might want, and we say, that will not do you good. So it seems restrictive, but we as parents are motivated purely because we believe that it will do them good. And it's the same with our spiritual leaders. If, for example, they say to us, it would be really good for you to read the word. It would be really good for you to tithe. It would be really good for you to be baptized. It's because they really believe that will be for your benefit. There's no motive in themselves in telling you to do those things. And one of the reasons why they really believe that is because they're living in the good of it themselves, usually. They know, read the word. It will build you up. It will help you. So they know. So if we can look at it like that, that when they advise us to do something, it's because they truly believe, like a natural parent, that it will do us good. Now, I'm going to go for a slight tangent here and just talk about the difference between natural parents and spiritual parents because there is a little bit of a difference. If you go a little bit further in 2 Corinthians 10, 13... Again, this is Paul talking to the Corinthians. And he says to them, I'm asking you to respond as if you were my own children. Open your hearts to us. You can hear the plea in his, in his writing. I'm asking you to respond as if you were my own children. So as leaders, we have to be mindful that we're actually caring for someone else's children, which is God. We're looking after God's children let me try and explain it in this way. If I have one of my children's friends in my house, um, I'm extra careful because I'm in charge of the most precious thing that they've got. So I will be really careful. Um, I will feed them as I would my own. I would look after them as if my own. They do have to work within my boundaries in my house, but they will be treated and cared for as my own children. And that's what, it's a bit like as a leader. We, in essence, they are parents. They are mothers and fathers. But if you're a leader, we need to keep in mind always that it's somebody else's children and they are God's precious, most precious thing. I looked up this term this morning, which I had in my head, which was loco parentis, which is a legal Latin term. Um, and I think it sums it up, up nicely. Those of you who are teachers will have heard of that before. It just means in loco parentis is a legal doc doctrine, this is the dictionary, describing a relationship similar to that of a parent to a child. It refers to an individual who assumes parental status and responsibilities for another individual. 
So we're in loco parentis, people. Skip back a tiny bit. 2 Corinthians 10, 8. And Paul says, but our authority builds you up. It doesn't tear you down. So I will not be ashamed of using my authority. For Paul, it was, like I said, it's it's love, not domination. For Paul, it was about building people up, not tearing them down. Now, I know there are people who have had their view colored by past experiences, which have not been good. It might be of a parent who was dominating or even a a spiritual leader from the past. But don't let that view colour the way you see all leaders or all authority. Because possibly that that was a different situation where someone stepped outside their God-given boundaries when when they maybe shouldn't have done. But but I'm asking, don't let that colour what we think, particularly in this house, in this family. So there are my six things that leadership is and is not. I'd like to now pose a question. So if you could turn to Hebrews 13, 17, please. So Hebrews 13, 17. Obey your spiritual leaders and do what they say. Right, I'm going to stop it there. We will come back to that. Obey your spiritual leaders and do what they say. It's a bit harsh, isn't it? But I want to pose the question, why? Why do we obey or other versions use the word submit? Why do we or why does the word tell us to submit? Surely if we're obeying God, that's okay. Or is it that by obeying the leaders, you are obeying God? i leave that one hanging. So can I just have my second slide up, please? Now, there is a really glaringly obvious answer to the question, why? And that is that if we believe that God dis- defines leadership, then, and the word tells us to, then that's the obvious reason why we do. But I would just like to... Um, submit to you, suggest to you three added reasons why it's important that we at least understand why it's important to submit. So if I'll go back to the Hebrews 13, 17, which I've lost now. Sorry, I've, I've written the wrong scripture reference there. Yeah, if you could read, what's the rest of the scripture? Yeah, that's all right, I've got it. Thank you. So what version is this? So this is, my back to the NIV now. Have confidence in your, yeah, I know. Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. So, 
God doesn't leave us to fend for ourselves when we're saved. He doesn't give us a Bible and say, off you go then. You know, he himself is not an absent father. By the Holy Spirit, he's a present father. But if that wasn't enough, he gives us fathers and mothers in in the faith. And they are God's gift to us. For that very reason, they are God's gift to us because he's given them to us to care for us, to love us, to not dominate, to tell us things that will do us good. Um, And it's also, isn't it amazing that there are people prepared and willing to be accountable for our souls? That's a big job, isn't it? But they're willing to do that. Turn with me, please, to 1 Corinthians 16. 15 to 16. You can tell I've been in Corinthians, can't you? (laughs) This is right at the end of 1 Corinthians. And we're introduced to this wonderful man who I don't think is ever mentioned again. It says, you know that Stephanus and his household were the first of the harvest of believers in Greece, and they are spending their lives in service to God's people. I urge you, dear brothers and sisters, submit to them and others like them who serve with such devotion. And they're God's gift to us, aren't they? And they do serve with devotion. And I just think Stephanus sounds wonderful. Never mentioned again. So they are God's gift to us. They are ready to be accountable for us and they lay down their lives, sometimes literally giving up good careers, good jobs to serve us, God's people. So the second thing I'd like to suggest as to why we submit is that submission brings revelation. There is a principle of submission throughout the word. It's not just that it's mentioned There's a principle throughout the whole world of submission. We're told to submit to God. We're told to submit to our parents. We're told to submit to the authorities. And Ephesians 5, Paul encourages us to submit to one another. And he says we submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. There's a principle in submission that we submit one to another. We submit to our leaders. We submit to God. There is principle in it. But there are some things, and those of you who have been believers for a while will recognize this, that there are some things we don't fully understand until we do them. Yeah? So, for example, tithing, fasting, head covering. Until you do them, you don't really understand them, and you don't even see the fruit from them. And the reason for that is because they're spiritual principles, and they can't be understood by the mind. If you start to try and understand them with the unspiritual mind, which is just a nonsense, isn't it? I might say, so you're telling me if I get in that water and come back up again, my old life is gone? Or telling me if I give some of my money away, I'll actually prosper? It's a nonsense. Because it's a spiritual principle that we do to understand it. And David said in, in our discussions about marriage... We don't have to understand everything to believe it. And we don't have to understand everything to do it. 
we can do it in a little bit of ignorance, but that's a great starting place. We do it because we were told to. Um, I got saved when I was 17 in C of Eva Church in the next village from here. And I was baptized in the Spirit, and it was great. I then went two years later to university, and I became a member of another church, uh, which is the church in Southport most of you will be familiar with. And they asked me if I'd, if I'd, if I'd been baptized in water. I said, well, no, because I was, I was sprinkled, I was christened. So I, 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 I don't need to. That's what my leaders in my old church told me, I don't need to. So they patiently sat me down with a Bible and said, really? You need to go for the full immersion here. And I really battled with it. I really struggled to understand why. Especially when one group of Christians were saying one thing and another another. So to cut a long story short, I, um, I was one of those people who when someone says, we've got spare clothes, does anyone else want to be baptised? I did do that. I put my hand up, said, yes, I want to be baptised. And I did, but I did it without much understanding at all. Um, Later that day, a a wonderful man from the church wrote a card with God's word for me on it. And whilst it's very personal, I'll I'll just read this one line to you. So this was about my impromptu baptism. It said, today doors have been opened in your life that no man can shut because of your obedience today. So it was because of the obedience, not the level of my wetness from the water. (laughs) And now... I understand baptism, and now I see the great significance of it. But I did it without much understanding because that's what those who were over me told me. My kids laugh at me now because every baptism, there will be tears in my eyes that I see. And they're going, oh, she's crying again. (laughs) But now I understand because I've stepped into it. So, submission brings revelation. My third and final suggestion as to why we obey is that the devil is a liar and a thief. Now, that might seem a bit random to those who haven't been here for the past few months, but this has come time and time again. The devil is a liar and a thief. And in this context, in the context of our leaders, so I think that it stands to reason, if the devil constantly seeks to undermine God's authority then he will want to seek to undermine delegated authority within the house. He'll seek to undermine that. And he won't do that very obviously. And I think this can go for the, for the family as well, for the natural family. He won't do it obviously because that's not his tactics. He'll do it subtly. He'll do it with whispers. And he'll sow seeds of doubt or seeds of offence. And that's how he'll do it. Let me give you a couple of Um, examples going back to Paul in his letter to the Corinthians he has to spend both letters defending his authority and the reason for this is that in his absence people had infiltrated the church in Corinth and began to spread seeds that Paul really an apostle does he really have the right to tell you what to do does that sound familiar And they also 
planted the seed of suggestion that Paul had dipped into money that had been collected for the poor. So he spends the whole two letters defending his authority, defending his right, telling them that when I was with you, I was never a financial burden, so why would I then? But people had infiltrated the church and planted the thoughts. Poor old Paul. So another example, please. If you could turn to Isaiah 36, please, 14 to 16. Okay, Isaiah 36. Are we all there? Now, apologies to my equip ladies, because this is very familiar to you. But this is the story of Hezekiah. Let me set the scene for you before I read the scripture. So Hezekiah is king of Judah, and he's holed up with his people in Jerusalem, and the city is surrounded, and it's surrounded by a vast army of the Assyrians. And whilst they're being surrounded the king of the Assyrians sends a messenger with a message. Now, this message is a masterclass in the devil's tactics. It plants seeds of doubt. So the people are made to doubt themselves, made to doubt God, made to doubt their own resources. And the messenger even suggests, well, God told us to come and attack you. Your God told us to attack you. See, every tactic to undermine. And then they try to, the messenger tries to plant seeds of doubt about their leader, which was Hezekiah. This is what the king says. Don't let Hezekiah deceive you. He will never be able to rescue you. Don't let him fool you into trusting in the Lord, saying the Lord will surely rescue us. This city will never fall into the hands of the Assyrian king. Don't listen to Hezekiah. These are the terms the king of Assyria is offering. Make peace with me. Open the gates and come out. Then each of you can continue eating from your own grapevine and fig tree and drinking from your own well. It's all lies. It's all lies. They weren't going to be allowed to stay and eat, drink from their own wells. The Assyrians had form, and that was that they led their captives away with rings through their noses. So that was all lies. But then do you see the subtlety there of attacking Hezekiah, attacking their leader, making them think something differently of him? And Hezekiah wasn't saying, trust me, everybody, trust me. Hezekiah was saying, trust God. That's all he wants them to do is to trust God. And then he's somehow made out to be the baddie. And that's how the enemy would twist things. Our leaders might say something and then sometimes it can get twisted to mean something else. And the other thing about Hezekiah was he wasn't just, ooh, let's hope, let's hope God delivers us. He wasn't like that. He knew that they had a word of protection through the prophet. And he also knew the older scriptures, which said that they would not be liable to attack. So he wasn't basing his, oh, just trust God. No, he knew they'd had a word through the prophet that God was not going to deliver them into the hands of the Assyrians. It wasn't a case of they're just hoping. Let's just hope God turns up. So we need to be careful what we listen to or let ourselves listen to 
and be careful what thoughts we feed as well. About our leaders, but about each other. Let's be careful. The enemy, he's all about distraction. It's all smoke and mirrors. Because he knows he's won, lost, should I say. He knows Jesus has won and he's lost. But if he can keep us distracted, distracted or offended, or then we're not, we're not winning people for Christ, are we? If, we? if he can keep us distracted, it's smoke and mirrors. So there are my three reasons, extra reasons, apart from the glaringly obvious, <laughs> as to why it is important that we submit. That actually leaders are fathers and mothers to us, but they're God's gift to us as well. That, that there are people prepared to be accountable for our souls. And then submission brings revelation. So we don't always have to understand everything to do it. But God is gracious, and in submission, we usually then get the revelation. It follows. I don't, God usually doesn't leave you in still in misunderstanding. He'll bring the revelation. And then finally, I said that the devil is a liar and a thief. And he will try to undermine godly leadership and godly authority of whatever type that is. And so, to finish off, I would just like to suggest two really practical things that we can do to help and bless each other and bless our leaders. Bless your life group leader today. Now, these are really simple, but I bet any family therapist would tell you this as well. (laughs) To keep a fully functioning family, the first one is to communicate. We communicate and keep the lines of communication open. Tell your leaders the good stuff. Tell them the answered prayers because that will encourage them. Tell them the word that blessed them. That will encourage them. But also communicate when things are tough for you and when you have been hurt. It's important that we communicate that. I have often observed that upset is mostly caused by things not done and things not said than things done and said, if that makes sense. So maybe there, something was forgotten. And, um, but if we don't tell our leaders that, then they won't know. So if, I don't know, if your hot rock leader puts you, rotors you on for a Sunday that's actually a really difficult anniversary for you, but you didn't tell that hot rock leader, then communication isn't open and then you're liable to be maybe upset by that, what you could perceive as a thing that should have been done that wasn't, should have been said that wasn't said. So it's important that we keep communication open. And then the second one is just to forgive and think the best, which applies to us all. If anyone does something to hurt or upset one another, we must, the word tells us we must forgive. But I always think if we can assume the best, then we might then not, not end up being upset. So if we for example, have it as a default position. So in this context, the context I'm talking about, but it does apply to the family as well, the natural family. If we can assume that if our life didn't ring us up or whatever, just assume that they're busy and I don't think you'll ever be wrong. If, If we keep a default position of assume the best, assume they didn't mean it, assume they they just forgot. 
So if that's your default position, you'll, you won't be wrong, really. I know most leaders in this room, and they are busy. Um, let me give you a very silly example. About this time of year, one Christmas, um, a family member gave us a big bag of presents. About this time, so we put the presents in the cupboard, shut the door. And then a week or two later, that person phoned me up and said, you know that big bag of presents? Yes, there's nothing in there for you. Nothing? No, nothing. Nothing in there for me. Can I send you a voucher? I'm really sorry. I was so busy trying to think of the kids. I'm really sorry. So I got, a, I got the hump about that, really. And I thought, thanks. Nothing. Nothing for me in a big bag of presents. Um, and as I stewed on it, stewed on it and thought about it, I just thought, oh, they didn't mean it. They just forgot. They didn't mean it. And then as I was pulling myself out of stewing on it, I looked on the calendar in our kitchen and I thought, oh, and I'd forgotten one of my nephew's birthdays. <laughs> we all make mistakes. That person forgot something, I forgot something. And it really did do away with any lingering resentment about it. So well, what, what could I say when I didn't remember my nephew's birthday, bless him. <laughs> so this is a very silly example. But think the best. They just forgot. They didn't, they didn't mean to upset us or hurt us. Think the best and be quick to forgive. I'm doing really well for time. Oh, we're about right. So you can all get put your costumes on now for the cabaret. So that's me done. I just want to finish in prayer. Can we bow our heads? Heavenly Father, thank you for giving us parents. Thank you for giving us natural parents. And thank you for all the parents in this room. Thank you for every leader in this room. Thank you for their willingness to serve. I pray, Lord, you'd bless every one of them. And help us all to bless them too and keep our communication open. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening today. For more information about Living Rock Church and for more great teaching, visit www.livingrockchurch.org.uk.